Thank you, Brady. If I missed you at the very beginning, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm the pastor here at Grace Hill. It's wonderful to have you here as we continue our final week here of our series, The Holy Trinity. We've been looking at who God is, who and what God is, um, and we've talked about the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you missed one of the sermons, I invite you to hop back and check them out on our website. Um, and today we talk about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so just as kind of a, a background here, how many of you grew up in a traditional church, uh, Lutheran, Southern Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, just a, a traditional setting? Raise your hands, okay. Uh, hands down. How many of you grew up in a, a more charismatic setting, Assembly of God, Pentecostal, non-denom charismatic, experiential, expressive kind of church? How many? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, so... Uh, I grew up in the first category. I grew up in a traditional 8 a.m. Lutheran church, you know, the, the hymnals. Um, and, and so today, what we're going to do is we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And if you grew up in a traditional setting, you might not have talked much about the Holy Spirit and, and what the Holy Spirit does. And so all we're going to do is we're going to go through John chapter 14 together and talk about the third person of the Trinity. And, and here's kind of where we sit at as we try and understand that. There are really three camps when it comes to the theology of the Holy Spirit. Now, I am, listen, I am very much overgeneralizing this, okay? I know there's all kinds of levels to this. Three camps, generally, when it comes to the theology of the Holy Spirit. Camp one, Think that the Holy Spirit is no longer giving out gifts, that that all ceased when the apostles died, and that once we got the Bible, there was no need for the sign gifts, um, it, things like healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues, um, that, that all of that is done now. Um, and see, what happens in that camp is you begin to neglect the Holy Spirit, and, and your trinity becomes the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. And so what happens in that camp is people have a lot of knowledge of who God is, but they don't actually have a relationship with God um, because you can't have a relationship with a God when you totally ignore one of the three persons of God. Um, and, and I grew up in a church like this where we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, where there was, there was nothing expressive about our worship. Um, grew up really fearing people that, that really talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. Not that the Holy Spirit was weird, it was just they were. Um, and so that, you know, in my church growing up, like nobody ever raised a hand because, you know, the, the older people in church are like, if you see a hand go up next week, there'll be snakes in worship and it's all over. And, you know, like there, there was just this fear and misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. Grace Hill is not in camp one, okay? Group two or, or camp two is the complete other side. That is the all out charismatics that ascribe more to the spirit than the Bible actually does. That, that, what, what I mean by that is this, that, that the Bible tells us that the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to shine a spotlight on Jesus, not us. And when you go all in on this charismatic mania, it's all about my gifts and my expressions and my manifestation of the Spirit, how I want to worship, how, how I want to feel during worship, and it's all about me 
and it's pointing a light at me. And it becomes very distracting and attention-grabbing because it's all about me. And 1 Corinthians speaks about this and says that there needs to be orderly worship. Um, I, as I was in high school, I was very new to the faith, um, grew up in that traditional Lutheran church, but I was in FCA in school. A fellowship of Christian athletes and two of the girls in our, our group were getting baptized because you know like they started coming to FCA and so they're getting baptized at their their church they were going to and so they invited us so a big group of FCA kids went and it was a offshoot of the assembly of God that got kicked out because they were too charismatic I had no idea what any of that meant as I walked in um, and so, like, service starts, and I mean, there's flags and tambourines. Everybody comes with their own instruments, you know, and it's just chaos, and people are dancing and, and running in the aisles, and, and people are standing up on, on, on pews, and they're speaking in tongues. Um, and I put that in quotes for a reason. There is speaking in tongues, but that was not it. Um, and all of this is going on, and we had the Southern Baptist pastor's son with us. And he stands up and turns to 1 Corinthians in the middle of their church and starts going, this is wrong. And we got physically thrown out of that church. Um, true, elders grabbed us and physically threw us out of that church. Um, but here's the thing. In that church, it was, um, uh, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the spirit. And if you don't have the spirit, then you're not a Christian. So everyone in that church needed to speak in tongues or you weren't a believer and that's what we're talking about is camp two is is all about the expressions of the spirit all about everybody has to have them all about you know doing this and first corinthians says no there needs to be orderly worship that that worship needs to be focused on god not us which brings us to camp three and, and listen i said this is a very overgeneralized explanation but camp three is that the Holy Spirit is alive and well. The Holy Spirit is still active and well. Um, and we are a charismatic church with a seatbelt, okay? And in the seatbelt is the Holy Bible, okay? That's us. That we believe the Spirit is alive and working. We believe that there are still healings, miraculous healings, and there are still people that have the gift of healing. We believe that there are still prophets. We believe there are still dreamers. We believe that there are still speaking in tongues. We believe that, that there are teachers and discerners and compassioners and wisdomers and all of that. But all of the manifestations of the Spirit must fit within biblical teachings. Meaning... We protect against those that want to say they have the gifts because they just want them. And so we are careful with how we express them. We carefully trust the Holy Spirit is still at work today. And so we're charismatic with a seatbelt. That's us. And so as we talk about the Spirit, the big problem with the Spirit today is this. So many people, their only idea of what the Spirit is, is he is the giver of spiritual gifts and he is present at worship. And they think that's kind of all he does. That he, he's present at worship because we, we, you know, Holy Spirit move in this place, you know, and, and you have to invite the Holy Spirit in because God can't come into a building unless you invite him. Come on now. Um, but you, 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 the Holy Spirit's in this place and gives out gifts and they think that's all it is. And so who and what is God the Holy Spirit? Well, God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity completely equal in power and majesty to the Father and the Son. And yet, its own distinct person. 
It has its own role. And Jesus himself is going to teach us in John chapter 14 what the role of the Holy Spirit is. And there are six things that he tells us the Holy Spirit does in John chapter 14. That's not all he does, but there's six things that we're going to talk about today that the Holy Spirit does. John chapter 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and be with you. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does that the Bible teaches us in this passage is that the Holy Spirit brings you into the faith. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit on every person in the world, every person, the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to reveal God to them, at work on them, trying to reveal God to them. And then through baptism, the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us. That was what the last part of that verse was, that the Holy Spirit is at work on us. And once we become believers and are baptized, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And so the first thing he does is he brings us into the faith, meaning this, Words are important. The Holy Spirit brings us. We don't choose. We just respond and follow. And that's the, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does. The, the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit helps us love God more. It said this at the very beginning, if you love me, you keep my commands. Um, and what the Holy Spirit does is after he brings us to the faith, he draws us into a deeper relationship with Christ so that we want to keep the commandments of God and it doesn't feel like a sacrifice to us. You see, a lot of the pushback against Christianity is once you jump into Christianity, there's a bunch of rules and you have to follow them and all this kind of stuff. But here's the thing. When you love something, you have no problem with the discipline it takes to do that thing. For instance, something I do not understand, runners. I don't get that. But there are people that will wake up early in the morning and be like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to run seven miles today, and then I'm going to run three tomorrow, and then I'm going to run five the next day. And I was like, why do you have a death wish? You know, like, what, who would do that? And you know what? They what? Love it. And it takes extreme discipline to do it, but they love it, and so the discipline is nothing to them. Or something else I don't do, hunting. Don't get that. 4 a.m., you get up, freezing cold. You go out there, you sit in a blind for hours all day and probably shoot nothing, but you come home and you're like, wow, that was amazing. Like, I don't get it. I don't. I, but you are disciplined because you love it. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, for those that love me, this isn't hard. This isn't sacrifice. This isn't discipline. This is, well, I love him, and I, I do this because I love him. I want to grow deeper in my relationship with him, and the Holy Spirit is the one doing that. The Holy Spirit is drawing you in closer to Jesus, opening your heart to love him more so that your service and your following and your command to him doesn't seem like work at all, but it's actually a joy to you. The third thing that the Holy Spirit does, and it says it in that passage, is the Holy Spirit helps us find truth. The Holy Spirit helps us find truth. The Holy Spirit uh, takes what we hear at church and what we read in the Bible, and it helps align us to the truth of God. When, when you leave this place and you say, oh, pastor, I learned this today, and I love these stories. I have people that come out all the time, and they're like, pastor, you said this today, and that changed my life. It's so amazing. And I step back, and I go, I didn't say that. You know why? 
because the Holy Spirit's at work. Now, I was in that arena. I was in that area talking about something, but the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you, piercing your heart, speaking truth to you, and that's the coolest thing in the world for me because as you come out, I don't sit there and go, well, I'm so smart. I step back and go, I didn't say that. How awesome the Holy Spirit's at work. How, like, it happened right here today. You want evidence? It happened. This person walked out saying, you said that I should go and change my job, and it's like, I didn't say anything about that. But God spoke to you and said, you know you need to do that. Holy Spirit's working. There's evidence, and that's awesome. And always the Holy Spirit will point us to truth, and truth is found in aligning with the Word of God because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, all the while the Bible was being written, was giving the words and allowing the men then, uh, to, to write these letters that would one day be in the Bible, that the Holy Spirit was directing all of that. That it's all God doing it. And the Holy Spirit is going to constantly point you to that truth over and over again. The Spirit wants to help us discern what is true by leading us to God's Word always. The fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy... Now, this is one of those things that we say, and I want you to stop and really think about this for a second. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ... God has deposited through baptism the Holy Spirit not at work on you, inside of you. And, and Jesus says this in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. We and our. I mean, how incredible is that? That through baptism, the triune God through the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. Inside of every believer, there is the Holy Spirit. And see, this is incredible because the enemy is constantly trying to condemn us. The enemy is constantly looking at us and saying, you know what's in your past. You know what you've done. You know who you are. You are not fit for use. That's literally what the word condemn means, not fit for use. And how many of us walk around feeling like that every day? I'm not fit for use. God could never do anything with someone like me. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know my shame. And God looks at us and says, that's where my temple's gonna dwell. Not in some big building, in you. In you, I want to dwell. In you, I want to be. And here's the thing. When God comes into our house, when God comes into our body and our life in that temple, it's kind of like when you move into a house. There's some changes, right? You, you come in and you look around and you're like, why did they put the TV? No, the TV's going there. Couch is going here. There's minor changes you do. And then sometimes you walk in and you're like, this is a full gut job. Like we are taking this down to the studs. And it might hurt for a season, but it's going to be good because God is going to dwell inside of you. And changes are going to happen. And that's what the fifth point is. The fifth thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Spirit sanctifies us. And sanctification is a big word that just means every day making us more holy. Every day making us more like God. You see, um, Jesus says this in, <clears throat> in verses 25 to 26. 
All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you, that every day the Holy Spirit is at work on you, that there are these little things in your life that you, you want to do, but there's just this nagging voice in your head that says, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think I should do that. And that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God has a hammer and chisel inside of you right now and is chiseling away everything that does not look like Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, as he's chiseling that away, also does work, that he draws you closer to Jesus, and in that closeness with Jesus, he begins to produce fruit inside of you. And that's sanctification, that he is chiseling away what is not like Jesus, and he is bringing to life and bearing fruit of what is like Jesus. And we learn in uh, Galatians 5, the, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, that, that he is making those things come to life within us. And, and what that means is this, that, that as you get baptized and as you follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, all of a sudden you're going to see life change and you're going to go, where did that come from? You know, I just got back uh, Friday night from an eight-day road trip with my kids. Um, and let me let you guess how many times I heard the words, are we there yet? And at time 47 on day two, I looked back, and, you know, there was a second of, like, pure rage. And I looked back, and I said, guys, I know it's a long, you know, like, we hit a little traffic. It's going to be a little longer. We're almost there. Um, how terrible you have to sit and watch this movie. Life is so rough, you know. But please just finish the movie. We're almost there. And I turned around, and I was like, whoa. That kind of sounded like patience. That is not something I'm known for. How did that happen? Or, or... You know, when you get cut off in traffic or you step on a Lego in the middle of the night and certain words want to come out of your mouth and all of a sudden they don't and you go, what was that? I'm changing. There, there is fruit being brought out that I did not do anything to do and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit tells us. That the key is not that you need to try harder to do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The key is that as you walk out of this place, if you go, I'm gonna be more patient tomorrow, that God says, no, you're not. All you're doing is taking a piece of, like an orange and stapling it to some wood and saying, look, I have a fruit tree. Like, that doesn't work, God says. God says, do you really want to be patient? Then walk out of this place and surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, God, do your work. God, do your work in me. And God will automatically bring out this fruit in your life. And if you're patient and you watch, you'll see he's changing you. He's changing you. He is daily sanctifying you, making you more like him. And you do what? Nothing. But respond. The last thing that, that Jesus brings out that the Holy Spirit does in us is the Holy Spirit brings us peace. And he says it in uh, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, the world at best can only give you circumstantial happiness. Circumstantial happiness. But when your circumstances change, your happiness goes away. And, and Paul says, I have learned the ability to find contentment in any circumstance. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that because the Holy Spirit is deposited into your soul, that no matter how bad it gets here, there, there, you know things will be okay one day. And what you lack here, you will learn that you can be content without it. And I'm talking about big things. Health. Health would be nice. But you don't need it. You don't need it. I've sat at the bedside of people dying of cancer and they said, you know what, I'm okay. I got Jesus. Money is nice. You don't need it. I've gone to third world countries and seen kids living in slums that are happier than my kids that have TVs in the car on road trips. I have learned to be content in all circumstances. That's peace. And that's what the Holy Spirit can bring you, is that maturity of faith. And so as we go into this time of confession, here's what I want to challenge you with. Do you, A, acknowledge the Holy Spirit in your life? And then B, do you respond to it? Do you, do you push the Holy Spirit away when you get that nagging voice and that conviction in your head saying, don't do that, that's not who you are, you're a new person? When you feel that chiseling taking place, do you push back against it? Or do you say, Holy Spirit, do your work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we pray that you would hear our confession to you. Lord, we are guilty sinners, every single one of us, me included. The things we say, the things we do, the thoughts that we have, and then there's a whole list of things that we know we should do that we don't. Lord, we pray that you would hear our confessions to you now. Lord Jesus, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would convict us, that you would chisel away the things that should not be there, that you would convict us and teach us to repent of the things that we need to run away from, and that we would, we would embrace your Holy Spirit and let it do its work in our lives and let it bring us closer to you. All this we lift up in your holy name and all God's people said, amen. Are you guilty of being a sinner? Do you fall short in what you are called to be every day? Then say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Well, the good news I have for you is this, is that your debt has already been paid. Everything that you owe God for the life that you have lived has already been nailed to the cross, and Jesus has already paid your debt, and you are forgiven. You are restored, and you are redeemed, and you are graciously loved by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Before the kids come back in, I want to take a couple minutes and talk about Roe v. Wade. Um, I know this is a big deal. I know this is a big deal. Um, it's a celebration for, for those that um, are pro-life and want to see babies protected. And we are a pro-life church. Um, but I also want you to notice, uh, Grace Hill did not post anything, nor did I, Pastor Justin, post anything. Here's why. Um, because this is a very divisive conversation, and it is not a conversation that I want to have in the mass internet tangled web of uninformed idiot internet trolls and self-righteous gloaters and watch them just haggle it out on our page and, and, 
in the comments. This is a conversation to have intimately right here together as a family. Um, we are not a church that puts any qualifications on who's allowed to come here. There's no sign as you walk through the store that says you have to be a publican, pro-life, this, this, that. that. It doesn't say any of that. Uh, we, are, we are not going to put up something publicly on the internet that's going to turn people away and not give us a chance to come and meet them and show them that they are loved and they are welcomed as they are before we can have co tough conversations. But here's the thing. We are going to have hard conversations, but we're going to do it right here together, intimately, safely, respectfully as a family. And after you've been greeted and welcomed and shown that we care about you and want you here, then we'll have hard conversations, okay? And so... I want you to hear me on this because I mean this with all my heart. I want this church to be filled with pro-choice people. And I want this church to be filled with pro-life people. I want this church to be filled with Democrats. And I want this church to be filled with Republicans. I want this church to be filled with Trump, build the wallers, and Obama, yes we canners, okay? I want this church filled with everybody. Because the banner over this church is Jesus Christ, and he is Lord over all. He is above every political party, and he's above every politician. That if we cannot come together as one church family and have very different political beliefs, then we are not living out what the gospel is all about, right? So under this house and under this banner and under Jesus Christ, we're all here together as a family. And I know that we have pro-choice people here today. And I want you to hear me on this. I love you and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Okay? Now, if you are pro-life, well, let me back up for a second. It is true that the Democratic Party has dozens of areas that they need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in. And it is true that the Republican Party has dozens of areas that it needs to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in. And all of us have our blind spots. As I vote politically, I guarantee you can look and say, well, you're that way on guns and you're that way on this. And you're like, what about this? We all have blind spots. We all do. And so listen, if you are pro-life here today, I want you to stop this is your pastor asking you, please, I want you to stop gloating on Facebook and rubbing it in people's faces because the truth is we haven't won anything. We haven't won anything. Nebraska, it is still legal to get an abortion. And the abortion pill is not affected by this. You can still get a mail-order abortion pill anytime you want, and people can just drive across straight borders now and get it. We haven't won anything. If you are pro-life here today, it's time to shut your mouth and roll up your sleeves and get busy doing something. Here at Grace Hill, we have supported Assure Women's Center for years, and that is an organization that I invite you to be a part of. We need to get serious about supporting foster families and all of the help that they need and supporting young women and all the help they need. Because the truth is, is that with this ruling, there's going to be a lot more unwanted kids born. Let that sink in for a second. And we need to be ready to do something. We need to be ready to put our money where our mouth is. Okay? Now, if you're pro-choice and you're here today. Once again, I'm glad you're here. I love you and I want to be honest with you. I, I personally have a hard time putting pro-choice together with submitting and following the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a hard time understanding how that fits together. Now, I also don't have your perspectives, your life story, and your own um, insights. And so all I'm asking is if you're pro-choice here today, um, I'd invite you to sit, not as you walk out today, but let's, let's talk at some point. 
And I want to hear you out. And I swear to you, if we set up a time and you say, I want to talk about this, the meeting does not end with me forcing you to believe something or say something. It, it ends with me saying, thank you for sharing that with me. Because I want to hear you out. Because here's what I see on my Facebook and my internet and everything. Is I see people saying that because I want to protect babies, I hate women. And I, look at, I don't. I don't. I don't hate women. I, I see on my internet feeds that um, because I want to protect babies, I don't care about them once they come out. I do. And I don't understand. I want to hear your perspective. I want to, if I'm missing something, truly, I mean this, if I'm missing some perspective, I want to hear it. And this annoys my wife to death, but like, I love the contrary opinions. I'll watch documentaries on things I totally disagree with. And she's like, why are you wasting? And it's like, I'm interested. I want to hear what the other side is. And I mean that about myself. I am very, I want to hear. And here's the thing I want to tell you. I think Jesus was that way too. Christians, listen up. I think Jesus had people walk up to him all the time and say, I disagree with you. And I think Jesus goes, let me hear it. What do you got? Because in Romans 8, 1, it says, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Wherever you're at, okay, I want to hear about it. And then let's talk about how that fits with Jesus. And all are welcomed here. And all are loved here. And all of us are under the banner of Jesus. And so I want to pray for us today on this topic. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we lift up this entire mess to you. This is a mess in our culture. On both sides, there, there are many valid points on the pro-choice side. There are many things that are being neglected, many, many people that are being taken advantage of, many people that are being left aside, and, and it's a mess. And then on the other side, Lord, there, there are lives that are being taken, true lives being taken. And Lord, what I pray is I pray for all the young women that are being forced and pressured and, and in fear getting abortions and then being labeled murderers. Lord, I have known people that have gotten abortions and they are not bad people. They were scared and they didn't know what to do and they were being pressured by their own parents or by the boyfriend and they're in abusive situations. Lord, we want to be compassionate. Lord, we pray for the babies that have lost their lives. We pray for the organizations and the people that are battling right now and making this so divisive. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace. And Lord, we just pray that your will and your love would be spread through this whole country in this whole area. All this we lift up in your holy name and all God's people said, amen.